listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Vibrant, evocative, approachable. Derek M. Jenkins has received performances of his music throughout the United States, Europe, and Canada by ensembles including the Dubuque Symphony Orchestra, the Fountain City Brass Band, the Seattle Wind Symphony, and college bands and wind ensembles across the country. He has received recognition from the American Prize, the National Band Association, and MMTA-MTNA. Recent commissions have come from the Dubuque Symphony Orchestra, the Mid-American Freedom Band, the Youth Symphony of Kansas City, the UT Martin Wind Ensemble, and the UMKC Wind Ensemble. Jenkins is currently Assistant Professor of Music Theory and Composition at Arkansas State University and holds degrees from UMKC and Rice University. In his spare time, he is an amateur scuba diver and daydreams of becoming an astronaut. Well, thanks for doing this, Doodly. Of course, of course. <laughs> I suppose I should probably... No, I won't explain the nicknames. People yeah. should just figure it out. Yeah, that's good for him. Deej. No, I'll explain it. <laughs> what what did it come from? It came from uh it came from Deej, right? Just DJ. DJ, yeah. DJ, Deej, Deejery, Deejery Doodly. Pledge just... was to- Pledge was totally Steve's thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, I forgot man, Pledge. Man, we gave you a lot of crap when you were at Rice. <laughs> Ah, I deserved it. So <laughs> I don't think you did. I really don't. <laughs> anyway, but you know, it's good to good to talk to you again and see you. Yeah. I mean, we haven't caught up in a while. I mean, you you went ahead and like became a valid adult. You got married. I, You're a doctor now. I, I decided to just do all the adult things in one summer. Yeah, no kidding, Doctor Deej, Doctor Doodley. <laughs> well, and you're and you're you're brand new at Arkansas State University. That's awesome. Yeah, loving it. Um, yeah, never in my wildest dreams I think I'd end up in Arkansas of all places. But right? uh, it it's I'm enjoying it so far. Um, you know the colleagues and students and everything. You know um, what? Uh, still- I I see you. You're wearing the. Uh, the shirt of the school. So what is their mascot? Uh, it's the Red Wolves, which um, I'm glad it's been changed to that. Uh, it used to be the Indians, um, oh. which was a little, you know. Yeah. Yeah. One that's, of those. That That's no good. <laughs> yeah. So we're now the Red Wolves, which um, I can get behind. Did UMKC have anything? <laughs> Probably not, right? They they are the kangaroos. <laughs> okay. And the the best part about it is um we didn't have a mascot for a while. I don't know exact timeline or anything, but we didn't have a mascot and the debate team of all teams got to like a national level or something happened <laughs> and they picked the mascot and they picked the kangaroo because the Kansas City um, Zoo just acquired two new kangaroos. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right. So you were a kangaroo, then an owl, then a kangaroo again, and now a red wolf. Yep, yep. Well, all right. Fair enough. 
Well, uh, listeners just heard from me uh, talking in your bio about you daydreaming about becoming an astronaut. And <laughs> that is, uh, that's the piece we're going to talk about first um, called We Seven for Brass Band. So, Seven, who are the we and who are the seven? Um, I actually stole that title from a book uh, by the same title. Um, and it was written by the Mercury Seven astronauts. Uh, so these are guys like John Glenn, Alan Shepard, uh, Gordon Cooper, Scott Carpenter. Um, Can you do all seven? Let's let's have let's see, it. What, what was that? Four. Is that was Deke four. Slayton. Deke. Yeah. Uh, Gus Grissom mm-hmm. and Wally Schraw. Mm-hmm. I think it's all seven. Yeah. Um, so they wrote a book together, and um, you know I've been getting kind of back into one of my lost loves of reading about space exploration and um, found this book and was reading it and was approached by uh, Joseph Parisi at UMKC uh, who runs both the wind ensemble and the brass band, uh, Foundancy brass band. And um, he wanted a piece, uh, I think it was like 2013 when he approached me. Mm-hmm. And that was, the 50th anniversary of the completion of the Mercury program. So it was kind of like all these things kind of lined up together. Did they Um, end? uh, So they ended in 63. Yeah. Yeah. Gordon Cooper's flight was in 63. I forget the exact date, but what do you, do you know how close that was to, um, to JFK's uh, speech at uh, actually at the, the one where he said, we want to go to the, or we will go to the moon. That speech was at the Rice University Stadium. Not a lot of people I, I know. know that. <laughs> that, so, that blew so my mind. So when, like, when was Gordon Cooper's flight uh, at, in relationship to that speech? Was it, was it pretty close? Or Well, <laughs> so Kennedy was assassinated sometime in 63, and the yeah. speech actually took place in 1961. And oh. it's, it's this fun kind Derp. of point of contention um, that Kennedy made that speech after only the first flight, um, which was Alan Shepard's, which was literally a shot up and back down. And so we had about 15 minutes of flight time and JFK said, we're going to the moon by the end of the decade. Bam. Um, And so all of NASA just kind of like panicked for about a decade there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I totally, I totally biffed on that whole year thing with JFK. Oh no, you're fine. You're fine. Anyway, um, so, you know, I was, I was reading about this and immediate, it immediately brought up uh, the movie, the right stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. Which is, um, which is a movie about the Mercury seven astronauts and also, um, the other people at NASA and, um, the kind of, uh, culture of like in the, in the test pilot community, because that's what many of them were, were, uh, test pilots and, so yeah, this is a good movie. If anyone listening has not checked out the right stuff, it's like it's a long movie. It's it's in the neighborhood of three plus hours, but yeah. it's it's totally worth it. <laughs> it it's an epic, but oh Patrick yeah, Swayze's and or not Patrick Swayze. Um uh Dennis Quaid. Dennis Quaid. Why would I get those two confused? Not sure. And then isn't it um oh, why am I blanking on his name? He was in Apollo thirteen, Beautiful Mind, um Oh, uh, Ed Harris. Ed Harris, yeah. Ed Harris, yep. I think, plays he, John Glenn or something He does something play like John Glenn, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great movie. So yeah. uh, let's, get to your, let's get to your piece. 
And you and I have had this conversation for a long time. So let's get it on the record. Why banned? <laughs> um, oh, gosh. I don't know. I I mean, I'm a bassoonist and, you know, naturally bassoon I parts. I totally and- forgot that about you. <laughs> I haven't played in a while, so I wouldn't claim that I'm an active bassoonist. I totally um, thought you were a brass player for some reason. Hmm. I joke with several people that I should have been a brass player, um, trombone or euphonium or something like that. Yeah, that that suits you more than <laughs> bassoon. I don't know. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, so, you know, typically bassoon parts and band are terrible. You know, they're <laughs> French horn meets tuba. Um, no one really, especially if you play second bassoon, like no one knows what to do with you in a, in a band setting. Um, but I joined in on the umpas a lot. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that gave me a chance to, um, listen more. And so I got a chance to kind of really kind of get to know the ensemble, um, like from the inside out almost, Mm -hmm. and just kind of fell in love with the sounds that I was hearing and heard, um, ways that I could manipulate it or, um, take those sounds and run with it uh, in my own compositions. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I think, you know, I also, you know, growing up in the Midwest, it was much more band country than orchestra country. And so, um, you know, no fault to my orchestra directors or string teachers, but um, the bands always seem to sound better than the orchestras uh, mm-hmm. in junior high and high school. Um, so well, I think in that band, was also... <laughs> in band, you just have to push buttons on in orchestra. You have to like find the notes on something that doesn't have like, it's, yeah, it's that much closer to a theremin. Like yes. that's, th- that's what string instruments are. They're basically <laughs> theremins. So just imagine a theremin ensemble and that's what you're getting from your fifth grade or sixth grade orchestra. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> I love that analogy. I'm going to have to use that. <laughs> so uh, tell me about the the pitch material or rather the, the sources uh, okay. where, you, where you were getting uh, pitch material for this piece. Um, well, it, it was kind of two things. Um, the first one I had been working on for a while. Um, it's nothing new in the musical world, uh, but it, it was taking – names and letters and encoding them into the musical into the musical alphabet mm-hmm. um, and um, there's a couple different systems um, that I've seen and I kind of mixed several of those together mm-hmm. um, and so you know a through G were the standard uh, uh, note names except B I used the German B flat mm-hmm. um, H became B natural then s was E flat, um, from German. Um, and then I, it got into like some really weird ones. Like I had C for O, um, because, uh, of do, like do, re, mi. Uh Um, I was, uh, I think, I think I became me. So that became E natural. Um, (laughs) I mean, it, it, it became like R was Ray. I mean, it was starting to get into like, um, and then the last like three or four, like some of them, I didn't know what to do with like P and N. Um, I just kind of arbitrarily assigned a pitch to them. Um, <laughs> yeah. The great, the great things we do when we, you know, try to think of material. Not um, exactly scientific. <laughs> no, no. Um, so, but I mean, I did, I did work with them a little bit and, you know, mm-hmm. if, if I think 
and started out as like E and then I, um, um, preferred it as D and so I changed it, but, um, came up with these melodies based on the last names of the astronauts. Um, and so they appear in a variety of guises, um, very clearly in the opening of the piece, um, you get three of them and then one repeats, um, in the kind of triumphant moments, the trumpet call is one of the names and the underlying bass line is another name. Um, and then John Glenn's last name only appears at the very end cause it mm-hmm. had some kind of cadential sound to it. Just how I ended up coding it in. Um, well, yeah. What does N become? I mean, N. I actually, I think N became G cause his name ended up being G A E G G. And there was something about that sound that sounded very cadential, like, like some kind of ending. Um, and I actually displaced the, each G went up an octave higher. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's very, it's at the very end in the, the metallic percussion. Um, so it's just that one instance of it, but all the other names kind of make two or three appearances. Um, save one. Um, and this was kind of a, like a nice blessing. Um, I couldn't make Deke Slayton's name work. Uh, well, and he never, and he never went up and he never went up. So it worked out really well. It was, um, he was the one of the seven that never <laughs> flew on a Mercury mission. It was some kind of like, uh, health, health thing with him right yeah it was it was like he had like a health a heart palpitation um or something like that he actually ended up flying uh years later on the apollo soyuz mission yes um, he did which was kind of cool um i did some research before it about this i'm I'm impressed i'm really impressed um i so i i'm really actually with you i i'm very much into (laughs) space and astronauts and and all that stuff i mean so yeah, yeah no it 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 blows my mind like you know these guys it's like the like the atlas rocket what took which took glenn up to uh orbit um had a success rate of like five percent or something like that oh my god um, like before they like got to a point where they could like launch two or three in a row without one blowing up um and these guys watch these you know, launches and the rockets explode and they're still like, yeah, I'm on board. Like, it's just a whole nother breed of, of person. And yeah. I, I love it. Like that was actually um, a great scene in the right stuff. It's just like a montage of rocket explosions, <laughs> you know, basically just exploding, you know, going up 50 feet and then turning over sideways and exploding or, you know, and it's just like explosion pan back to the astronauts explosion pan back to the astronauts. It's like, it really does show you, like, geez, these these guys were crazy, crazy oh, yeah. to to keep going with this after seeing that many failures. I I I don't know what it would take. Like I I like to say, like you know, if I had grown up in that time period, I would have you know volunteered. But in all honesty, I probably would have chickened out. <laughs> you know, um, I don't think anyone would fault you for that. <laughs> so um but yeah that was you know the the coding of the names was kind of the primary material um the underlying like harmonies background sounds um are all derived from their initials um using the same alphabet sound um and what i found is i could put uh again six of the seven d 
Deke Sladen, uh, you know, not included. Sorry, Deke. <laughs> um, I could put all six of them in order where I would only move one note at a time. Hmm. Um, and so it kind of created this like static, but always changing kind of, um, harmonic background, um, with which to put my melody lines over top. It's almost like you, well, you, you said that the harmony is derived from the initials. So it's just two voices. Uh, three voices. So I, I use, um, you use the middle first, middle and last name. Okay. Um, but, uh, there was redeem redemption for Deke in, uh, my piece, um, his initials worked out to be D, D, and E flat. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are several moments where that motive appears, um, particularly at transitional times. Um, so you get at the very beginning in the chimes, but then it appears like in big buildups into like, you know, moving into the fast kind of fanfare sounds and things like that. So Deke does get his moment. It's, it's using the, um, his, initials which would normally be harmonic you know with the other like the other six um but using them more in a linear fashion so mm-hmm. um you know he got he got a little bit of love in the piece too so <laughs> <laughs> gotta have some love for deke <laughs> love for deke yeah <laughs> so all right so you have the initials but wasn't there wasn't there something else in there like oh a, yeah a quote or something <laughs> yeah a, a big old quote um we all of a sudden get to a tonal world um <laughs> So, uh, I was working on the piece and I, I kind of had the shape, had everything kind of going. And there was just this one spot where I was like, I, I need something. I need this kind of big majestic sound. I was, you know, if you go for the programmatic aspect, it was, you know, in my mind, you know, here we are, we're up in space, you know, what's an appropriate sound, what's an appropriate thing to be hearing at this moment. Um, and I was still trying to finish up the we seven book at this time and got to the chapter where Glenn is talking about prepping for his mission. And, um, he talks about like, you know, they'd have these long days, like 18 hour days of work and in simulators and all this stuff, um, training, they'd go out to the deserts, all this like random stuff. And to unwind, he would go home and listen to his record collection. And in Mm -hmm. particular, Madam Butterfly by Puccini. And so I was like, okay, well, maybe I should take a listen to some Madam Butterfly. It's been a while, actually, um, a long time since I'd heard any part of it. So mm-hmm. um, took a listen and came across, um, I'm not going to attempt the Italian, but the Butterfly's big aria, uh, The One Fine Day, is, I think is how it translates. Un bel di vedremo. That's the one. Um, I'm sure I just completely butchered that too, but I wasn't afraid. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm terrified with, with Italian. Um, so I found that and it's um, just this really poignant, you know, it's um, butterfly is like looking out over the horizon, uh, talking about her love coming, sailing back to her and um, all these great kind of imagery in that. Um, and I thought, you know, what what better kind of quote than something that starts out one fine day when we're talking about a guy that, you know, in the span of three hours sees three sunrises and three sunsets. Um, and so it just kind of like all kind of meld together in this really interesting and kind of, you know, beautifully poetic kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, I'm trying to remember from the right stuff. I know that when they... So the whole thing with Glenn, when he went up, there was some kind of anomaly 
you know, mm-hmm. like some, some, uh, I think he described them as like fireflies or something up there that were like kind of like, as in his words, like dancing around his, his capsule. And, uh, did the, do you know, did they ever figure out what that was? They, my understanding is they thought it was, uh, condensation on the rocket that had frozen and then when you came around into the sunlight it started to melt oh it's st- oh, okay or melt or maybe was or, it or like, like sparkle like, or break, like break off from the um uh-huh. the capsule so like um the propellants are super chilled and so uh-huh, the, yeah. there's kind of like a layer of ice forming when they're here on on earth um and then as it takes off, there's all this condensation still on the rocket. And so it goes uh, when the capsule is like in the, you know, the shadow of the earth uh, that gets a chance to refreeze. Mm-hmm. And then it comes back into the sunlight and the sun heats it up. And so parts of it start breaking off and you see these droplets, but the sun then reflects off of it. And so it gives the effect as he called it like fireflies or mm-hmm. something like that. So um, when he's in the movie, when I think when he's starting the descent mm-hmm. maybe because he was supposed to he was supposed to do seven revolutions and he always or seven orbits and he only got to three right it was something like that it was something like that he yeah yeah he he didn't get to do as many as as they were hoping to do but i think there's a moment in the movie where he's humming something and i cannot remember what it is and i wonder if they if they use that Madam Butterfly thing, it also could very well be he was just humming some like military song or something <laughs> because he he came from the Marines, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I that'd be interesting. I, I was just trying to do a search, but yeah. nothing I'll have came to up. I'll have to go back and look or watch the movie again. It's it's yeah. been a while. So. Yeah, it's a great movie. Oh God, yeah, yeah. Um, and. I saw on your website you have a score, your piece, a score signed by John Glenn. That's pretty I, cool. I, <laughs> yeah, I um, I decided to be you know a total fangirl, and um, so I wrote the piece, got the got the recording from the premiere, and so I made two bound copies of the score, uh, burned a CD um, of the recording, and then wrote up a letter and I went back and read it and I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing. Cause I mean, I was 24, 20, no, I was older than that. Uh, like 26, 27 at the time. And uh-huh. it reads like, you know, a 14 year old crushing on somebody. <laughs> oh my gosh, Mr. Glenn. I love you <laughs> <Basically>. so much. <laughs> um, so Anyway, I write up this letter and I um, mail off the scores, have a return address or uh, envelope um, in there with postage and everything's prepaid. And in the letter, I end it with, you know, you know, um, if you would like, you know, if you like the piece and, um, you know, you care to, you know, would you mind signing a copy and sending it back to me? And um, I found this address on like online on some random website and it actually went to the Ohio State University um, business school that's named after him. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, yeah, he's never going to see this. It's going to be some kind of, you know, um, grad student that's got the job of going through John Glenn's mail that arrives here. Um, and he looks and, and he sees a CD and two scores like, trash. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it's, it's, it's never going to get to John Glenn. Um, you know, I want to get like the generic, like, thank you for writing John Glenn, like um, all that good stuff. But it was 
only about four months later, uh, the package arrived, and I unfortunately wasn't at home, so my roommates taunted me with photos of this uh, returned envelope. Um, and I got I got back home and um, opened it up, and yeah, he had signed it to Derek with like best regards or something, John Glenn. And uh, yeah, I bought I about lost it. I mean, that was that was that's, crazy. That's um, really cool. And it was so that was. That was probably January, February of uh, 2015. Um, shortly thereafter, they actually took down that address um, that so you could no longer mail things to John Glenn there. And then he passed away in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the moment, like you know, I heard that I would you know call to my parents because it was sitting at their house. And I'm like, you haven't thrown this away. Like you know where this is, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it, it's there and. Uh, they're gonna bring it down to me here uh, in the next um, couple months or so, and I'll put it up in the office, you know, proudly. So <laughs> yeah, man. So I think you're able to incorporate a wide array of materials into your harmonic language, and I mean, was that just due to you know this kind of um, graphing the initials or the names into music or was that is this kind of reflective of your language as as a whole i i think it's pretty reflective of my language as a whole um i the materials might change but i think how i deal with them kind of remains very consistent from piece to piece but it's actually a really good question. I haven't thought about it. <laughs> um, yeah. Because, it... I mean, you're able to go from a kind of, like you say, you know, you needed you needed the, bi- the big triumphant moments. You also needed these, like, moments of repose. You needed, like, the, you, you, you traverse a, 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 a wide kind of spectrum of what, you, you know, um, of harmonic materials more, more than anything. Mm-hmm. So is that, that's something that you just, that's within your language. I, I would say so. I, yeah. um, yeah, it, it's, it's something that like, I, I love kind of creating sound worlds and, you know, they, um, the harmonic language and, um, the, har- uh, the melodic material and stuff, especially with this piece in particular, um, uh, the little motives that I had and, um, the melodies um, kind of dictated what they wanted to be, uh-huh. um, at least to me. You know, somebody else looking at the same material would have found something different. Um, but you know, like Cooper, for example, it was it ended up being three C's in a row, uh-huh. um, and you know, something about that just spoke like fanfare to me. Uh-huh. Um, and then Carpenter, just because of the sheer length of his name, kind of, you know, this more corral kind of sound that you get in juxtaposition with that kind of fanfare moments. Um, so, I mean, it's it sounds like, you know, kind of crazy talk at some points, but the piece <laughs> and the materials kind of start talking to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of tell, dictate what they want to be in some ways. Was this kind um, of the first time that you kind of let go of your intuition and let something else take control of some of the decisions because once you like, once you encode the names, that's it, you know? Uh, right. Yes. And no, I mean like I, 
I feel like I'm kind of an analytic composer when I get down to it. Um, like I make intuitive decisions and stuff, but I think at least um, how I form my materials comes from like an anal- like more of like a kind of process. Um, mm-hmm. So this one, the process just happened to be encoding the names. Um, I did make some changes. Um, I think there was one name like, shepherd or shepherd's initials or something like that where um i needed to have a b flat and i had a b natural instead um and it was actually completely by mistake that i like i put it into finale that way or something um but when i was sitting there playing at the piano i'm like i you know it actually is better this way um Mm -hmm. so it was kind of one of those intuitive moments where it's like okay no this the composer side wins out rather than the analytical side on this moment but um see those are always the moments when i'm like oh but it's so the the system that i have created is so beautiful i don't want to wreck it you know and i and i'm telling i'm telling my students exactly what you just told me you know sometimes the composer side has to win out but just me personally when i get to those moments i'm like I don't want to change it. I just want it to be perfect and beautiful. And, you know, and, and if, and honestly, sometimes, um, if the, uh, if it doesn't sound like, well, I, mm, it's not that it maybe it sounds better one way or the other. I think maybe I just, I think maybe I trust in the process and that if it sounds a certain way, with the system that I'm using, or it sounds a certain way, if I break the system, I tend to usually go for the system because I'm just like, well, I wouldn't normally do this. You know, if I didn't have the system, of course I would go for this, but it's a, it's almost about like pushing myself in a way, you know, like it's almost, I'm examining my likes and dislikes and saying, well, you would normally go in this direction. Maybe that's not such a good thing. Maybe break yourself from that and go in this other direction and see where it leads you. I don't know. That's just me. And and like I say, I'm constantly telling kid, you know, students like the composer side has to win out. But <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I totally get it. I um, I mean, it, it was definitely kind of a moment of defeat when I made that change. Um, you know, there was that like, oh, the the system didn't work. Like, yeah, it, it wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah, you uh, should feel defeated. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know. It was. It was just terrible. Um, Shepherd broke you. Yeah. <laughs> Send out an errata with the the piece now. Um, but I, what was har- the hardest part about this piece for me, as far as like incorporating into like um, my kind of natural working order, um, was actually the Puccini quote. Mm -hmm. Um, going, you know, I have tonal ish implications, I guess would probably be the best way to phrase it in my music. Like Mm -hmm. I know that I'm not way out there in like, you know, the serial side or, you know, um, where there is no kind of home base pitch, Mm -hmm. but I've never quite dug into writing tonal music or incorporating any kind of tonal music. Yeah into my music. And so it was this kind of, it took me a while. Like I, I remember like some of the working drafts of this piece that I had the whole beginning section, 
Then there was a big hole in the finale, like pages of just empty measures. The Puccini quote all scored out, ready to go. And then what came after the Puccini quote. Mm-hmm. And then like, so the Puccini quote was like literally this isolated moment. I knew that's where I was going. I knew I w- wanted to incorporate it. Um, I knew it would work well, but I didn't know how to get there and how to leave it. Mm-hmm. And, um, because it was so far out of my wheelhouse. Yeah. Um, and that, that I struggled with probably more than, you know, the, the encoding of the names and trying to figure out how to make music out of, you know, this kind of system, arbitrary system I had created. Um, but it was, it was really dealing with Puccini and the ghost of Puccini that kind of, <laughs> uh, was bothersome. Um, yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's admirable that you were able to do that because I have never, I've never been one to, well, I've never really had the desire to quote anyone, but in this piece, there's certainly a, you know, there is a, a definite reason to do it. You know, it ties in very strongly with, with your concept. So, you know, it's, it's great that you, you could, you could do that, but I think I would have, you know, I would have struggled just as much because I, I'm just like, I, I think I have some sort of block against, against quotation. I don't know. There's, there's just something about it that, that doesn't like, doesn't ring well with me or something. I, I'm in the same boat. I, I mean, it, you know, there was a lot of fighting, you know, do yeah. I include it? Do I include something that's similar? Do I just kind of create my own big triumphant, gorgeous sound at that moment? Um, Cause that was my first time of quoting anything mm-hmm. um, like directly. And, um, but it, I think it was one of those moments that you were talking about, like, you know, pushing yourself outside of what you normally do. So yeah. like in your case, sticking with the system would be outside of your normal wheelhouse. Um, I think for me it was, you know, okay, I've got this quote, I got this idea. Let's see if I can make it work and make it convincing. Um, yeah. and that was my push to kind of, uh, break outside of my normal pattern. Some of my favorite parts of this piece are kind of the moments of repose um, like I think there's some time where you're using wine glasses, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was a beautiful moment. And then, then there's, there are these other times where I think it's maybe horns or because we're going to, we're going to listen to the brass band, uh, mm-hmm. version of this piece. So you have the wind ensemble version and the brass band version. So we're going to listen to the brass band, but I think it must be horns that are maybe like trilling in their mid register or something. It's a really haunting moment. It's t- kind of towards the like first third of the piece, but mm-hmm. you know, I really love those moments because I thought with those moments, you were really able to explore what this ensemble you know, be it a wind ensemble or a band or a brass band or whatever, you know, what the ensemble can really do sonically, you know, and that now in complete contrast with that, um, this is, you know, you definitely have the kind of fan fairy moments of this piece and it's meant to be triumphant. And can I make an observation about, yep. about many Band pieces, this this <laughs> one included. There is a liberal use of suspended symbol. <laughs> yeah, I I'm trying to get better with my percussion. Um, okay, there's definitely been an improvement from this piece from earlier band pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, I I fell into the trap of 
you know, I, Every, I shouldn't have my percussion resting like in some of those earlier pieces. Uh-huh. Like they should just constantly be making noise um, to compensate for the fact that I don't have strings or anything like that. Um, and so I've, I've feel like I've made some strides, but yeah, there's some definite moments where it's like, I, there's some cliches I fall into. There's, um, well, I mean, it's so, not just, it, but it's not just you. Yeah. It's like every band composer. <laughs> <laughs> I swear you get, you, you hear a band piece and it's just suspended symbol. Every eight bars. Yours isn't you. You are much more restrained, <laughs> but there are so many pieces where every eight bars is a suspended symbol roll and there's a big crescendo and it's like, oh my God, there's so much, so many other things you can do with percussion. Um, yeah. And I, I think you brought up a good point, um, that I, you know, when you get into those big ensembles, um, oh, well, well, what do I do with them? They can't just be sitting there, especially I think in band, because you do have more percussionists than you would in an orchestra, you know, in an orchestra, Mm -hmm. you're only dealing with at maximum three or four players plus a timpanist in band. You can have as many as like seven 10 players or something like that if you want so it's like well i've got them back there i've got to use them you know but if that is detrimental to the piece like you it's kind of clutter which i have to say in those moments of repose that i was talking about for your piece that's what i loved about it there wasn't clutter it could thin out, you know, you, you were able to bring us to these really, really big places, but then also take it down to almost nothing, like take it down to just wine glasses. And was there a solo on top of that? Or I, I can't remember. Uh, so the first time the wine glasses come in, you get just the wine glasses, everything else dissipates. And then, um, the first thing that comes in is Bode Cortales. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, um, Bode Tam Tam and suspended symbols. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so you were really able to take us down to a very, you know, um, a very thin place as compared with, you know, the big fat chords that you get when you're when you're moving up to the your your high points in the piece. So. <laughs> so anyway, it was just an observation about no, I, I, wind ensembles I, in general, but <laughs> I, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. I mean, it's 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 something that I want to try to um, break out of. And I think what I might need to do is challenge myself and write a band piece that maybe has no percussion yeah. just to kind of really break, break that out of me. Like, you know, not do the, like, I'm not talking like Dvorak serenade size ensemble. I'm saying like a full wind band, but no percussion. Mm-hmm. Um, and just really challenge myself to see what I can do um, when I take that out of the wheelhouse. That'd be um, cool. I'd listen to that. Yeah, it, it's you know, maybe this is, maybe I'll do that in the next piece. We'll see. Hmm. Um, <laughs> ideas are turning, um, but I, I, I think the percussion is an easy way to hide too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's especially in the band world. I think it's an easy way to hide, um, you know, issues, other issues that could happen in the piece or that are happening in the piece, or a way to try to overly heighten things. Um, and there's so much more that percussion can do. I just, you know, I don't know if the training for composers or the wind ensemble music in general, like provides that kind of background mm-hmm. um, for us. So, well, it's, it's interesting because, you know, so many, 
So many, t- and it, this is not just with uh, wind ensemble. Some I've I've talked to composers who did it for orchestra as well, but they write the entire piece and then like, okay, now I got to write the percussion, and I'm like, what do you mean you have to write the percussion? It should be pretty integrated into your into your piece, you know, if it's going to be there, and that's yeah. that's I think the mistake that some composers have is they think that percussion is just ornamentation and effect as opposed to completely integrated into the language, you know? And that's where I think you get the, well, I got to do something with them kind of attitude, you know? So anyway, just interesting. Um, So now we're going to, now we're going to listen to the piece. Uh, Who are we going to hear playing on this recording? Uh, This is Fountain City Brass Band um, with Joseph Parisi as the conductor. And this is We Seven by Derek Jenkins.
So next we're going to listen we'll talk about and listen to your piece called unfinished list of things i love and as a transition and to quote anchorman you just killed the one thing that i love there it is what do you love <laughs> no that's the real question though what do you love derek what do i love oh my gosh um because you didn't well, write just, these words so I, yeah I, I just got married so you know there's there's um Good a answer. Lot of love. Um, so definitely my wife, the dog. Uh, we got a little like fox terrier Yorkie mix. Um, yeah, yeah. When did you get yeah, the dog? What? When did you get the dog? Uh, Emily got it after she finished her master's. Um, so this would have been August 2015. Okay. So we've had her a little over two years now. Cool. Uh, yeah. So dog, you know friends family you know all the all the kind of cliched answers i mean you know Mm -hmm. going from cliched percussion writing to cliched (laughs) love answers um (laughs) um so the poet of the text you are setting what did he love i i struggled with the words a lot i struggle with poetry um I love it. I love reading it, but I I struggle with it. Um, well, let me just let me just read the first the first poem yeah. because I it really struck me and and I I really like the the little uh, tag on to the end of it. It's called <laughs> unfinished, and it's unfinished list of the things I love most: white apple of the moon, fresh mint, and fish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it it was. At first, like my first instinct with some of these was to almost go comedic, um, mm-hmm. you know, just just how they were set up, um, you know, especially like that and fish. I mean, it's separated by like an extra line there, mm-hmm. um, and you know, it just kind of this abstract, bizarre kind of imagery. I mean, you know, fresh mint fish and white apple of the moon. I mean, it like what. What like what, what what are we doing here? Like are we cooking? Are we like so? Um, but I decided to take it in you know kind of a little bit more of a serious bent. Um, I also have a hard time studying English. Um, I think it's just because it's, since it's my native tongue, um, my first set of art songs was actually in German, mm-hmm. um, and I f- felt strangely more comfortable studying German than I did studying English. Well, you um, speak German, don't you? Not fluently. I I wish I. Did I? I um, well, you grew up for there, right? Well, I'm sorry. You grew up in Germany, didn't you? I was well. I was born there, but we left. I was like a year and a half old. Oh, okay. So, for some reason, I thought you lived there for longer. No, I. I wish. Um, I did sp- spend a semester in Austria, and so really got you know going on my German then. But um, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't until college that I started learning German, even though I was born in Germany. So it was kind of. Mm-hmm interesting pairing there but um so um with this piece you're pretty much writing love songs for the couple that you wrote the piece for right basically um yeah it was it was kind of like um all these different facets of love like all the poems kind of had this kind of connection um the the couple uh husband wife piano uh vocalist um jordan voth and jen weinman um met Jordan when I was in grad school and, um, met his wife, you know, through him, but, um, 
you know, they, they got married, we were at their wedding and, you know, so we, I've known them for a while and, um, the relationship there was just kind of fluid and natural. I mean, you know, to go back to earlier, he was a space nut and that was our original connection. Um, nice. I think one, we went out for dinner or whatever, and it was Emily and a bunch of the pianists. And then she brought me along and, um, Jordan said something about space related and like, basically it was one of those moments, like we just became best friends. And, um, so yeah, it was, it was, you know, we've been wanting to write a piece or work on a piece together, collaborate um, for a while. And, um, opportunity arose to, uh, write a piece for whatever instrumentation I wanted. And, um, so I talked to Jordan and Jen, they were on board. They had a f- good friend of theirs. So it's a poet. And so he wrote the text and, um, you know, I like to think and about what's, it. You know, and what's his name? Uh, Dan Daniel Weller. Um, okay. And so the, um, you know, like since this is you know about love and like all the various facets, I like to think about it like you know the love of friendship kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. was very abundant in this piece. Um, so it was love songs for Jordan and Jen. You know, kind of for each other, but also at the same time, kind of you know this kind of communal love. This like. Um, brotherly love you know aspect Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um Um, so let's listen to this piece right now so who are we hearing on this recording uh this is uh jordan voth on piano and his wife jennifer wyman um as mezzo-soprano um and this was uh the premiere of the complete cycle and this is unfinished list of the things i love Oh. 
so uh, now we come to the question that I ask all the com- all the composers or artists or whatever who are on the podcast. Um, how did you come to music as something that you wanted to pursue as your life? Ah, um, it was. Let's see. I my first encounter was um, my uncle and aunt were moving, and they had a piano. And so it came to live at our house for uh, about six months or so as they were transitioning. And um, I'm just fascinated by this instrument. I was second grade or something, so I was about eight years old. And um, you know, I wanted to learn more about this thing that was living in my parents' um, living room. And I had a, fr- a cousin that had taken piano lessons as she was growing up. And um, she got me playing a little bit of like Christmas carols and stuff. And, mm-hmm. um, so I played some for the you know extended family when they all came, um, that year. And, um, and that just kind of snowballed. It was, you know, from there, my parents found, you know, piano teacher and, um, you know, started taking lessons, loved it. Um, but there was always kind of an itch. And I think this is what actually got me to composition. Um, there was an itch that I wanted to learn more. Like I wanted mm-hmm. to be able to kind of understand more instruments. Um, and so in second grade or fourth grade, um, so about two years later, I tried violin. I was terrible, which might also explain my gravitation towards band music. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, I was terrible at it. Tried it for a couple years though. Um, and then switched to saxophone um, in sixth grade, added bassoon in seventh grade. Um, and then it was in eighth grade, um, I, for whatever reason, decided that I had to memorize um, Pachelbel's Canon in D on piano. Um, but it was only, it wasn't enough just to memorize it and be able to play it on piano. It was also, you know, I would show up early to the band room, um, and annoy the crap out of my middle school band director by playing mm. Pachelbel's Canon and mm. D on the piano in his, <laughs> in his, in his office. Um, so it was kind of, you know, fortuitous in some ways, um, but John Ulrich was his name, and he actually was uh, one of my groomsmen at my wedding, so kind of this nice full, full circle. Um, but he, uh, um, I think, just got so annoyed with me. He was like, okay, Derek, you need to do something with this. Like, you know, you've, you've played it. You've clearly got it ingrained in your mind. Do something with it. And I'm like, well, what, what do you mean do something with it? He's like, okay, arrange it for something. Like, write it so it can be played by other instruments. Um and that kind of got me going down the composition path um, a little bit. So, like, you know, uh, tried arranging Pachelbel's Canon, um, decided to do it for five saxophones. Um, mm, gorgeous. <laughs> just mu- music to people's ears right there. Um, <laughs> and it was, uh, you know, for an eighth grader, it was moderately successful. I mean, it wasn't, it's nothing I would like, you know, send to anybody ever. Honk, 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 Basically, yeah, it was a mess. But there was kind of this itch the entire time writing that or working on that, like, you know, well, this is fine, but, you know, what if I went this way with the piece? I know Pachelbel went that way, but what if I go this other way? And Yeah, what did he know? Yeah, what, what did he know? You know, like, you know, he, he just did the same bass line over and over, you know? Um, Hack. <laughs> so I, um, 
it was kind of then and there, and it, it's really funny, like looking back on it, but it was kind of then and there that I decided I wanted to be a composer. I had never written a piece. Um, I had only done this one arrangement, but I was kind of like, I, I think I want to write music as, as a career. Um, totally startled my parents. Um, and they, you know, have since come around to the idea of me being a musician. Um, but <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> Uh, it actually didn't take them that long. Um, After but, four degrees, uh, was it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, my my teachers all thought I was going to go into um, mathematics or physics or, you know, engineering or something of that nature. Um, and for a while there, I thought I was too. And then just something kind of clicked in eighth grade. And then all through high school, it was, you know, let's figure out as many instruments as I can just so I can kind of have a better understanding, you know, the kind of old Hindemith approach of, you know, I'm going to write a sonata for every instrument and I'm going to be able to play it myself too. Um, I haven't done that necessarily, but I was tried flute. I tried, um, euphonium. I tried clarinet. Um, I was playing like contra alto clarinet in a clarinet choir in high school. Like it, which is which is an awesome instrument. If you can find one that works, oh man, that that is fun. Is that the, that's the really tall one, right? Yeah, that's that's the really tall one. It's not. It's the one that's smaller than the the one that looks like a giant paperclip. Uh huh. Because um, it was the one that was keyed in E flat, so transposes like a Barry sax. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But yeah, you get that thing roaring. It 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 was fun. <laughs> Um, the ladies was, was came like, a running. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, I picked all the instruments that you know woo the ladies: <laughs> bassoon, saxophone. Yeah, you know. um, but yeah, it was it was just kind of this itch constantly to like you know I want to explore more instruments and stuff. Bassoon was kind of my primary always, but it was you know I want to learn and understand other instruments. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not to pl- necessarily play them well, but understand the mechanics behind it. So when I ask a player to do something, you know, I have an understanding of what I'm asking them to do physically. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it all started with Pachelbel's Cannon, huh? Pachelbel's Cannon. Was Thanks, the- Johan. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> all right, buddy. Well, uh, before we go, um, where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, best place is my website, uh, Derek M Um, all my recordings are up there. I've got, uh, like PDFs of the scores and things up there as well. Um, I try to keep it updated as far as, you know, performances and events going on in my life. Um, professional life. Mm-hmm. So, um, are you on Twitter? I am on Twitter. I don't use it a whole lot. Um, I, I, I think it's hooked up to my Facebook account. So I will often like put something on Twitter and then it automatically posts to the Facebook account. So I kind of you know, negate the whole idea of having a Twitter in some regards. Then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, but you are at Derek underscore M underscore Jenkins. Oh, I, I go for originality. Did, did, how many characters is that? One, two, three, four, five. 15 characters with 16 with the at man you are taking up some serious uh real estate when someone tries to tweet you yeah it's it's true it's true you you, you gotta really want it to that point you gotta really want to talk to Derek (laughs) 
All right, buddy. Thanks for doing this. Absolutely. This is great. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.